said, and his audience would stand. I think we ought to try that, don't you? Think this this would be a good week? No. I'm sorry, Roger. We won't make you do that. Okay, very good. Uh, actually, several years ago, and that has nothing to do with the lessons, but several years ago, I was talking to a fellow who was doing a lot of work in, uh, in a couple of the African countries, and he would talk about you would go to a place, you get your, your little wooden box, you put a sign, right, attached to a tree, Bible lessons here, and you'd sit on your box, and people would just come to you. And they would come to you, and they would stand there as long as they wanted to, listen to what you had to say, you engage with them, and then they would leave. And I thought, well, that's not so bad. That's not so bad. How, how do we do that? I said, here, we have to beg them to get there. And then they sit down and say, would you hurry up and finish? I'm glad that you're here today. It is a great day, and I, I, I'm thankful that we can have these times together. I'm always thankful that we can spend a little time in worship together. And the fellowship that it brings to our way, uh, in our way, I'm always glad to see you. You and I, I hope it goes on that way, always in all of our hearts and minds. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I was sharing with you a thought in regard to the, the church, where Christianity and the church stands today in the light of what a lot of people see and, and how it has lost its value in so many minds, even among many who are Christians. And, and perhaps that even more to me, that has more impact to me, I'm trying to say, than how the world sees it. Regardless of how the world sees us, I think it's important how we see ourselves. And I want to continue that thought, if I could, this morning, because regardless of how somebody else sees us, we need to have a good self-image. I think we need to have a positive image about who and whose we are. And the conduct of our lives needs to be something of which we say, yes, I know why I do this. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm proud of who I am. Not arrogant proud, but I'm proud. I'm happy to be who I am. I'm happy to be a part of this. And this is very important. And so with that in mind, I want to turn your attention to the idea that we are the city on a hill. We are that city on a hill. And I know that's, you know, not literally interpreted in terms of a city, but you can recognize in the, in the picture of it, the idea of the city was on the hill. You can see it there. You recognize that it was defensible and all those things that we might say a thing or two about, but that's how it's important. But think about what Jesus says, because this is important. When it comes down to you and me, and this is a very personal thing, when we think about ourselves, this is very important. When we take what Jesus has to say, and not just out to the masses, but specifically me, specifically you as an individual, as well as a group. Notice what he says, you are, verse 13, Matthew 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt is, loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. You're, let your light so shine that men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I think we need to see that. I think that is such an important passage. We find it so early in that message of Jesus. I know we often read those Beatitudes. We read some of them in Bible class this morning. We read those Beatitudes, and we're impressed with the statements of Jesus that are there. And there are many throughout that message that stand out in our minds. But this is one that ought to get hold of us. 
I think this is one in a way sometimes we would like to just kind of bypass, but it's one we need to see. You are, because it's a very personal matter. And so we need to see ourselves, and we need to say we are special. This is not just your mother talking to you. This is the reality. We are special. I'm talking about you and me. I am talking about the church in general. We are about who we are as a people we're talking about, and we are special. We are not run-of-the-mill. We're not just another group of people. We're not just a gathering of people. We're not just another gathering of people out there. We are special. We are not ordinary, and we need to know that. We need to know it, and we need to prize it. It's not arrogant to think that way. It's not selfish to think that way. It is appreciative of what has been given to us. It is of divine design. I think there are a lot of people who are proud of their families and proud to to say they're a part of their families and to prize the name that they use and so forth. That's the kind of idea I'm saying here. Only we take it to a spiritual level. We take it to a far greater level in that regard. But if we see ourselves as special, then we have to be what Jesus is talking about. And not everyone wants to be a beacon of light. Think about that. We like the idea of being special, maybe, but we don't necessarily want to be that beacon of light. We don't necessarily want the responsibility that goes with it. Several years ago, Charles Barkley, who you know is a a very good professional basketball player, now retired for many years and does a whole lot more in terms of uh, uh, sports commentating and advertising and so forth and that that kind of things today. And younger generations know him that way. But he he was a recognizable force in basketball for many years. Several years ago, he was questioned about some of his behaviors and how they were they were providing a negative example for people especially the young people of our society his response to it and I won't quote him I I don't remember the exact quote but I heard what he had to say his response was that he noted that he had never intended He had never intended to be an example and a mentor to others. While he enjoyed the perks of his celebrity status, he felt no responsibility to be a character idol for anyone. And he's not alone. We cast aside the idea that to whom much is given, much is expected. And we say, much is given, maybe much is earned. But nothing should be expected. I don't really think we want to sink to that, do we? I don't think we want to hide. I don't think we want to be anonymous, not completely. But I think there is a certain amount of selfish, selfishness to most of us, a selfish side that makes its way into our lives. Yes, I think we like privilege. I think we like importance. But we like it without an added responsibility. We like to make our choices separate from that. Mostly, I think we've come to enjoy in our lives, and maybe this is more practical, our anonymity. We like to quietly conduct our lives without being bothered. Unfortunately, we have tended to release, with that idea, we have tended to release some of our long-held and important values 
Think about that. With our anonymity, we have tried to release ourselves from important values that may be around us, and they erode, I started to say gradually, but sometimes with great speed. Maybe we are a little bit like the Korean Peninsula. We think if we can just draw our line out there and nobody crosses it, then we're okay. We need release by affirming real value. So let me offer to you a few thoughts. We, and I'm talking about Christians, I'm talking about the church, we have important value, and we need to realize we have important value. When Jesus says you are, I come back with the idea we are. There are definitely things we're not. There are definitely things we're not. We can look at our own individual lives and we recognize there are things I'm not. There are things I'm not. There are things I'm never going to be. And the church and Christians, and even as, as a group, we're never going to be a social club. Oh, I, there are great civic and social organizations, you know, groups uh, like the Rotarians and their, their Advancement Against Drugs, Alliance, Eyesight, and things like that. There are a lot of great social organizations and groups that do very nice things, very benevolent in a lot of ways, and maybe you see the upsides and the downsides of them all. I'm not here to talk about them and what they, they do and don't do. That's not my point. We can understand some of these things that go on and how good they are and what they, what they accomplish. But we are not a club where you join and pay your dues to claim membership. That's not us. That's not who we are. That's not what the church is intended to be. That's not what Christians are intended to be. Just because you put a contribution in the box as you're entering the auditorium doesn't mean that you paid your dues for the week and suddenly, okay, I got it made. I'm in for the club for another week. We may be benevolent also, but we are not a benevolent aid society. We may remedy some ills, but we are not here to remedy every person's physical needs. Jesus did a lot of it, but not everyone. He even comments on that. And we are not a government arm or a government substitute. There are things we're not. That's reality. That's it. That's not negative. That's not, that's not something to say, oh, man, man, I'm okay. No, that's not a negative that we're talking about. Because Jesus is turning it to the positive, and he's turning it to say, here's who and what you are. He says, we are. You are. And so we are, individually, collectively, we are supposed to be, we are the salt of the earth. Do you understand that meaning? Do you grab hold of that? We know about salt. Sure we do. We understand what it does. You know what it does when you put it on your food and you taste it. We know what it does to your blood pressure. Oh, man. Didn't have to mention that one, did I? We understand salt to a great degree because it is. And as he's using it, it is a powerful force. It's a force that makes its presence known wherever it is. That's why Paul would write to the church in Colossae and said, let speech be seasoned with salt. What's he saying? You understand it. Make sure they hear it. Make sure they know what you're saying. Make sure it has an impact on people. Did you go to sleep in the middle of that one? I want to wake you up. 
That's what salt is about in that regard. Use it seasoned with salt. Yes, it has many forces. It has a preserving power. It has a saving power. It has an influential presence wherever it is. I love the old story where Elisha, Elisha, when the stream, they said the water is bad here. And Elisha said, well, give me, give me some salt in a jar. And he goes and he takes that salt, throws it in the stream, and the water was, was good after that. That doesn't sound very good, does it? When they start throwing salt in the water, you think, I don't want to drink that water with salt in it. And yet, don't water purifiers use a lot of salt? Isn't that interesting? Salt has a powerful force about it, doesn't it? Everyone knows it, uses it, benefits from it. And we don't live without it, spiritually or physically. You are a living force in the world. You need to realize you were intended to be a force where you are. We're not intended to to run through our lives anonymously. We're not intended to be something that no one knows who and what we are. No one recognizes. We don't want to begin this world and end this world. And somebody said, was there somebody ever here? I've heard the illustration, you know, put your hand in the bucket of water and pull it out and see if you can really tell the difference. And that's why life really is. I don't want to agree with that. I don't think any of us really do. Our influence may not be great. We may not change the world. We may not stop or begin wars. We may not decide whose finger is on the button fully. But there are people around us every day who see us and know us. People with whom we work, people with whom we, we interact, we play our sports, we, we see them in our neighborhoods, we, we see them in our grocery stores, and the people who live in our homes and our families that are around us We are the salt of the earth, and we are the light of the world. He says, you, you personally, you personally are the light. We sometimes hear about somebody who said, she or he lights up a room when they come in. We understand what that means. Bring something special that's understandable and recognizable. We are intended to be enlightening. We are intended to be informative. We are intended to know what we're talking about. We are intended to offer to people that truly protective, open power that light brings into a place. You know, we'd been inside this building, worshiping inside this building for a few years, and all the time we kept complaining, it's dark in here. It's dark in here. Oh, there was some light. And we kind of got used to it. You used your songbook kind of like this, and those of us who are getting, those of you who are getting older, we're getting older, songbook, and go like this before we had projections and so forth in here, going like that. And then one day we said, we got to have some more light in here. We put lights in the place. Why? Because we want to see, we want to know, and we want to understand. And you look a lot prettier with the lights on, I've got to tell you. Some of us don't, but some do. We are the light of the world, enlightening and informative when we share that. You walk in the daylight, you walk in the light, you shed the light so that you can be seen and so people can know what you have to say. Enlightening, informative, it is a protective power. And we are the city, he says, that is set on a hill. Think about that. You don't hide the city on the hill. There's a story laid in the book of Judges. Some people coming looking for a place, and they they found a place they wanted to be. And what did they do? They attacked a people that were kind of isolated, 
separated, kind of hidden from the world, and they took over their place. Why? Because they were isolated, hidden, had a quiet, peaceful place, separated from everyone else. We want just the opposite of that. We want to be the people who are seen. We want to be the people who are known. That doesn't mean we're out on the streets with signs protesting or shouting up and down. We don't have the bullhorn on the street corner that said, turn or burn. That's not what he's saying. But be the city so that people see us. They know we are there and they know what we are. And in that we are directionally inviting. The city was put on a hill so you could see the light. I know where I'm going. Isn't it great when you, you come into a town and now you're driving down the highway or maybe you're coming in by plane and you can see the lights of the city and you say, I'm almost home. The city that is set on a hill. And the idea it's defensible as well in that regard. Well, there are a lot of metaphors about us and about the church in the scriptures and descriptions of who we are supposed to be, the assembly, the people of God, the citizens of heaven, the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, the flock, the household of God, the bride and others. But I love what Jesus has to say here because he's talking about your value where you are. Your value where you are, but not only your value, your responsibility where you are. Typically, I would not draw material that was commonly used by Jesse Jackson because I don't have much appreciation of him. But he would often go around using the poem. And he'd say, I am somebody. He may still do it, I don't know. I'd like to twist it and use it better. We, the church, are somebody. You need to gain a little perspective on that. We go to the scriptures for that. Listen to what is written there in Hebrews chapter 12. Part of it we'll have on the screen where it says, to gain perspective in this, you know, I want, I want you to hear this. For you have not come to the mountain that can be touched, that burned with fire and blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. It says, that's not where you've come to. But. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge, and of all the spirits of just men made perfect to Jesus, the mediator, and the new covenant, and the blood of the sprinkling that speaks of better things than, than that of Abel. And we could read further, but that gets you the idea. It says, you haven't come to the, the ordinary you haven't just come to another place. You haven't come to just another organization. You have come to God's place. You've come to the Mount Zion. And in the imagery of the Bible, that is truly the highest. So, you are. You are. Jesus said, you are. Salt of the earth, light of the world. You are. It is a personal thing, though. But it's a personally applicable thing. It's something you choose. It's not just a group say, yeah, the church is. But that we, too often we talk about the church as if it's somebody else. It's about you. It's me. It's the individual. It's each of us. Hal David included in the lyrics of his song, best known and sung by Jackie DeShannon, when he said, not just for some, but for everyone. Listen to that. Not just for some, but for everyone. 
think that includes you and me. So, while inst- many instructions are given for limited groups in Scripture, and we understand that, these are statements that Jesus offers that have a broad and individual application. So it's up to you and it's up to me. Make this personal. You, be salt. Kind of like the coffee make commercial uses the old song, says express yourself. Don't be afraid. Express yourself. Go back there to Colossians 4. Let your speech be seasoned with that salt. In other words, so that you know and they know. Whoever hears you knows what you've said. Live beyond yourself with the influence that's available to you. And you be light. Be light. It struck me this week in thinking about this. How do I express this? But I came up with this. See if this makes sense to you. Faith is not automatic. Sometimes it's easy. But it's not automatic. Because faith is purposefully engaged. It's determined in your mind and heart. It's easy to just let faith go away. Faith is something you apply. Faith is something you use. Faith is something you learn because it comes from enlightenment of information. Romans 10, 17, you've heard it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. People need to know what you know. They need to hear what you have to say. They need to know the light that you have and that is in you. And thirdly, be that city on the hill. Be inviting and be open. It is the desire for others. Being that city on the hill is the desire for others to know what you know, to attract them, to make them want what you are. We don't want to, we're not out there carrying a club and saying, you better listen to me or I'm going to beat your head in with it. That didn't sound nice, did it? But I fear sometimes that's about the way we've used the scriptures. We haven't been to city on a hill. We've been the policeman with a gun or, or, or a stick and we're out there and we're just beating people over the head with it. I used to hit people with Hebrews 10, 25, and forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as manner of some is. I think there's probably a scripture about not sitting on the front rows somewhere, but I haven't found it yet. When I get it, you're going to have to sit on the front rows. But seriously, the scriptures, while we talk about it being the sword, it is not intended to be something to just beat people over the head with or to be beaten over the head with. It is enlightenment. It is strength, and it's an invitation. How many times have we listened to the words of Jesus in Matthew 11? Come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden. It's a beautiful invitation. Remember the words on the cross? Forgive them. It's not, okay, look at what they've done and how bad they are. It's forgive them. Be that city on the hill. I think about what Paul, Paul said to King Agrippa and, and, and Festus, uh, Felix, I mean, Festus, Festus, when I got the two guys mixed up a minute, when Agrippa and Festus were, were talking to him and listening to what he had to say. And he said, you know, Festus said, much learning has made you mad. And Agrippa said, you know, with a little bit, you're trying to convert me to be a Christian. 
Listen to Paul's words. Because they need to be imprinted on us. I think they really need to be imprinted on us. Paul said in Acts 26, 29, I would to God that not only you but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am except for these bonds, the chains he was probably wearing that day. Do you feel that way? Are you thinking that way? Are we looking at the world that way? I want you to be where I am. I want you to know what I know. I want you to be in understanding in life as I am today. At the end of a ladies' class one time years ago when I was preaching with the Drexel congregation and, and was still in my ignorance, but because uh, I was a lot younger than the ladies that were there, that's my point. And I finished the class and I said, I wish I could just get across to you how I see this. And one of the ladies who is quite a number of years my senior, after class, and said, you can't ever do that. I said, you can do your best, draw a picture, put it out there, an understanding, but each person, each person is going to make their own decision and going to see it as best they can or see it. But I listened to the words of Paul. He says, I want you to know what I know, to see what I see, to be what I am. I've got to believe, and I hope you do too, that this is the concept that Jesus was trying to get across right here. The church has value. We're going to hold on to that, I believe. And to continue the concept of the value of the church, you need to know. You need to know that it is only fully known when it is applied as an individual, personally applied as an individual. When you look at the commands, the commissions, and the examples of what it means to be the church, it's not just what we do as a group and whether we get everything right as a group. It's about me. It's about you as an individual. It's about your life and my life. Because what it's getting across is this. When you make it personal, you are to be the salt, the light, and the city in your life's circumstances. He's pointing it to you. So this morning, we recognize who and whose we are. We recognize the opportunity is ours and why they are ours. And we look to the Lord and we say, Lord, let me be like you. Let this mind be in me that was also in Christ Jesus. And so we challenge ourselves with that regard. Perhaps there's one who's considered the need to be more of Christ, and I hope you have. I hope we all do on a daily basis. But maybe some need to recognize, have recognized the need to respond even this very day, and maybe you've decided, I need to put the Lord on in baptism. I've never done that. We want you to do that. We want you to do right with God. And we know the instruction. It's there. We can share it with you even more if you need that. But if somebody needs to respond to that this very day, we're ready and we're, we'll assist you in that. Or if you have another need to make known, we're glad to help you and assist you in that this very day. But let's all take it to our hearts and minds this day that we are to be the salt, the light, and the city in that regard. If someone needs to come, why don't you do so while we stand and while we sing this day.